Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Captain Hunter's Podcast, the podcast that is dedicated towards bridging the divide between the police and the communities that they serve. I want to thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the love and the support and all the kind words that have been coming in. Really, really appreciate it. And remember, I'm always on the lookout for new guests, uh, new topics. Uh, I don't always want to stay with the topic of law enforcement. I think there's so much more that we need to talk about. We need to talk about the human experience, what's going on in communities, relationships, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm willing to have all these different types of conversations. Remember to tune in on Mondays, Facebook Live, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we have a lot of different topics, a lot of good guests coming up on there as well. I still have another other, other guests uh, who are going to be lined up throughout the week. Uh, and, and at different times, everyone can't make the Facebook Live, so I'm more than happy and more than willing to uh, record episodes and just put them out as content. So I really, really appreciate all the love and all the support that I've been having, that I have been getting thus far. Really, really appreciate it. So we're going to jump right into the episode today. I'm going to speak with my cousin, Stephen Hunter Jr. Uh, he's going to tell us about his experiences about about being a black man living in China. Now, I'm a little bit older than Stephen, and I remember going to his house, uh, and, uh, you know, he was that annoying little, young little whippersnapper cousin uh, who's always getting on your nerves. But he's grown up to be a fine young man, uh, educated himself, or went to college, uh, had opportunities. He's going to talk about them, and uh, we are all very, very proud of him and the whole Hunter clan that they have going on up there in Massachusetts. They don't know who they are. So we're very proud of all of them and thank you for your love and all of your support as well. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna get right into the episode. Here's the experiences of a young black man uh, living in China, what it's been like going through the, uh, through the uh, virus uh, and all that type of stuff. So sit back, relax. This is going to be part one. We had a lengthy conversation, so I'm going to break it up into two episodes. So make sure that you uh, pay attention and watch for episode two. And in the meantime, make sure that you rate, subscribe, and share these episodes. Please rate them, please subscribe to them, and please share these episodes. Tell your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers about what we have going on over here at Captain Hunter's podcast. And uh, here we go. Here's the interview with Stephen Hunter Jr. My, uh, well, he's in the, yeah, he's in the Air Force. He's in the Netherlands. My daughter's here. Uh, mm-hmm. She is uh, big and getting on my nerves and all that kind of stuff, you know? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. My, uh, my, my stepdaughter's about to be 18 in a couple of days. So. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I have a stepson who's down in Florida. He graduated from college and he's living down there and doing his thing, mm-hmm. you know? So. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about yours, man? Yeah, how's how's the tribe up there, man? Up in, uh, I mean, they're right around the corner from me. I should know, right? So, <laughs> uh, no, everybody's doing well. Um, they've all got kids now, at least one yeah. <laughs> for each. Vanessa just had a baby boy. Okay. Uh, a year and some change ago. Okay. Cool. Yeah, That's I cool. got to meet him. So he he was just a little tiny guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just just born when I saw him. Okay. That was good. the last time I was back in the States. Yeah. Okay. And when was that? When was the last time you were here? That was um, a little more than a year ago. Okay. So last Christmas, I was in the Philippines. Okay. But um, the Christmas before, I was back home. Yeah, I think I remember seeing your post from the Philippines. You were oh, yeah. saying, was... saying you were all right and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was wonderful. Philippines yeah. was nice. Yeah. That was actually, a lot of fun. I'd like to go there one day, you know. I mean, I'm here to, I hear there's spiders as big as your head, so I'd like to see yeah. one of from a distance. Yeah. <laughs> the, I spent a lot of time at the ocean, so I, I wasn't in the – I went to the mountains one day. Okay. Uh, it didn't go very well because the vehicle we had rented um, just wasn't capable for getting to where we wanted to go. Okay. Um my my fiance didn't like it because it's a lot of road travel. The roads yeah. are in terrible condition. Yeah. Uh, I loved it though. I'm more. I'm way more adventurous. Yeah. So. Um, okay. Yeah. She, uh, we went up to the mountains one day, and it was just bad. It went it went from bad to worse to much worse, and then we just told the driver to turn around. Okay. Or he's going to destroy his vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, at one point, we had gone off the road. And the car got stuck. And uh, I got out. We're trying to figure out how to how to get back onto the road. 
and um, a local boy comes over with rocks, just like, oh, this happens all the time. So he started stacking rocks under the tire. And as I'm stacking rocks, a monkey comes over and is just sitting in the tree right above me, just watching what we're doing. And I was like, you know, where, where am I going to see this? You know, you, you're stuck on the road and a, a, a little monkey comes over and is, <laughs> is watching you. Right. Yeah. So that was, that was a lot of fun. We, we, uh, we also saw, uh, the whale shark. That's okay. the largest shark in the world, but yeah. it's very gentle. Yeah. So, you know, I got to swim in the ocean with a, a bunch of whale sharks. That so was a lot of fun. How close were they to you? Oh, you could touch them. I mean, you're not supposed to touch them, but I mean, okay. they were literally, they were right there. Um, okay. And at one point, one swam directly under me. Uh, I guess in the past, people used to touch them and try to play with them, but now they have marine biologists, and it's it's way more uh, organized and regulated than it used to be. Okay. So they give you a briefing. They tell you to stay three meters from the animals at all time, but they're wild. So they swim wherever they want. If they like what you're wearing, they're going to come right up to you. Okay. Um, if there's a piece of food that's floating near you, they're going to just come by and get it. Oh, wow. um, but their mouth has got to be, you know, maybe a meter and a half wide. Yeah. Uh, so you can't, it, you can't go directly in front of them or when they open their mouth, it's possible you can accidentally go into their mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, they, they suck in so much water right. to, to take in the shrimp and everything else like that. So. Yeah, okay. Uh, but I, I got some good videos. I just I haven't posted everything. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, that's good, man. Hey, listen, that's good memories, man. That's good memories. <clears throat> yeah. That's good. So thanks, man. I really appreciate you coming on, man. I really want to talk to you, man, mm -hmm. see what's what the deal is, man. So yeah, no uh, why don't you just introduce yourself? Uh, you are my cousin, and I appreciate yes. you coming on. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm Stephen Hunter, Stephen Hunter Jr. <laughs> uh, I am a, an English teacher in Chichihar, Heilongjiang Province, China. That's the far northeast. Um, I am, if, if, if China and the U.S. were about the same, I'm in northern Maine. Okay. So if you can imagine just how far northeast I am. Um, if I got on a train right now, I could be in Russia in two hours. Okay. I could be in Siberia. Okay. Uh, it takes me about an hour and a half to get to Mongolia. Okay. And uh, about two and a half, three hours from North Korea. Okay. So I'm way up there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you're enjoying your time there, right? Mostly, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've, I've really fell in love with the city. Uh, I enjoy it. I'm actually looking out. I have a. If I can turn the camera real quick, I have a giant bay window. This is my house. Okay. So I'm looking out at the the neighborhood and the cityscape as I'm talking to you. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I found the city. Um, it's not the most modern city. It's, uh, you know, it's not Shanghai. Mm. It's not uh, Shenzhen. It's, it's not a. A major metropolitan place but it is very local um a lot of traditional chinese culture here uh you know foods art and, and the people are just amazing um and another interesting part about this area in particular is that this is this area was formerly called uh manchuria okay and this was the place when Japan invaded China uh, uh, in World War II and set up a puppet state. Um, this is where they did it. It was actually in this city. Um, I've got really wonderful photo and video. Uh, the only reason I haven't posted everything that I, I've amassed over the years is because I still work here. And I don't want there to be a conflict of interest with my thoughts and opinions and my employer's thoughts and opinions. So um, I, I haven't publicly posted a lot of the material that I have, but um, you know, it, it's just, it's a very fascinating city. Uh, it also has the, the train station here is very famous because it's the last stop 
in the Chinese railway system. Okay. Um, you know, so if you can imagine, it, it literally is, this city is the northernmost point of um, settled, civilized, modern China. Um, and recently, it has been connected to another city even further north uh, called Manzhou Li. And Manzhou Li sits on the border, literally right on the border between uh, Russia and China. So now that this city, Chichihar, and Manzhou Li are connected, now that means I can actually take a train from here all the way into Russia and then stay on that train and travel all the way across Russia into Europe. And that's part of the... Uh, you may have heard this this thing called the One Belt, One Road uh, initiative that China has been taking on. Okay. Um, that's a, that, This city is actually a key point in that initiative because connecting this city, which was China's last stop, to Russia uh, really linked two major pieces of, um, of, of the train system and, and soon the road system. Uh, mm. to connect China to all of Europe and the Middle East. Mm. Uh, it, it's, it's a quite fascinating uh, system of commerce. Uh, basically, it's, it's the new Silk Road. Uh, that's what they label it as. Um, you know, so kind of Marco Polo's old route, but with high-speed yeah. trains. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sound, yeah. That sounds fascinating. And that's... Now, how long have you been there now? I've been here, I've been in this city for seven years total. Uh, I spent four years here, then I came back to the States for three years, um, you know, did more teaching, uh, community work, and, and some other things. And then I came back here for the last three years. Okay. Okay. Um, so what brought you out there? Uh, what made you decide to go out there? I, I came to China the first time in 2006 uh, that was shortly after graduating from Northeastern and uh, I was just looking for a job uh, you know I wanted to do something <laughs> very different right um, you know I don't know if you remember but I was in ROTC at the time and I was considering a military career okay um, you know but after some changes and you know seeing where the war was going and a lot of personal decisions uh, I said I don't know if this is this military career is going to be the right thing for me. Right. But I want to find something equally as challenging. So uh, a friend of mine said, uh, if, you're, if you're so into diplomacy, why don't you work overseas? Because the first level of diplomacy is education. And I thought about that. And I said, you know, I never thought about being a teacher, but I really love the idea of people and countries getting together and having conversations. Uh, and I guess as a as an English teacher, that's one of the best ways to do it. Um, China's obviously a rising country. This is, you know, 2006. You, you got to put that in perspective. Um, everybody saw China. China's trajectory was was like this. I mean, it was really uh, rising and rising fast. And I knew that um, if I could find something out here um, that was good. Uh, I would be able to really ride that wave of success that China was creating around the world. Um, so I came out in 2006, um, and I, and I, I taught and it was my first time teaching, you know, I'm not a trained teacher. Uh, I studied politics and international relations. Um, but I really started to enjoy the teaching and I came back to the U S this is 2007. And I worked in uh, state government uh, at the Massachusetts State House for a couple of years. Um, I think until about early 2010. So this is this is around the time 2007. This is around the time when uh, Governor Deval Patrick was he he went on a mission to China as a as a governor as a u.s governor came to china to work on some business deals and i remember this very specifically 
because it was about my maybe first or second week on the job. I was a new legislative assistant. Uh, so I was very green. I didn't know much about politics. But I had a meeting with the Black Legislative Caucus mm. and the governor's there. And it was just before he flew out. And my boss at the time, uh, State Representative Gloria Fox, she says to the governor at the tail end of the meeting, she says, well, my new uh, legislative aide, he just came back from a year in China. And the governor looked at me and started asking me questions. And I was like, I was, ner I was so nervous. I was probably 20, <laughs> 24 years old. And I'm thinking, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you're the governor. Like you, you've got to have amazing staff and, right. and, and people who are experts. And you're asking me, like, asking me legitimate questions right. and, and looking for answers right before he flies out. And then that's when I, it really hit me. China's this place that, like, a lot of people really just don't understand. Right. You know, they, 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 we talk about China a lot. And people interact with China frequently on, on these massive scales. Mm -hmm. But when you get down to the individual, uh, even at the corporate level, and you say, well, do you really know Chinese people? Do you really understand the culture? Many of them don't. Mm. Uh, and that's why you see, you know, certain failures uh, on the court. And we can talk about that in a second. But um, a lot of businesses have come here and failed horribly. <laughs> um, others have come here and become very successful. So I was looking to ride the success. Um, so it was... It was worked in state government for a while and then i ended up getting a position in uh, chinatown at the asian american civic association um this is a community nonprofit that sort of married my love of politics with my understanding of chinese culture and the chinese american culture and i kind of blended those together and i worked on uh the the workforce initiative uh, movement that's that's going across America, mm. um, and we were training immigrants to get jobs so that they're not dependent on uh, government assistance. Right. And the program that I worked for specifically at that time was uh, the Partnership for Automotive Career Education, mm. and we were getting people jobs in the automotive industry. And since I'm a gearhead in my free time, you know, I love working on cars. Uh, that, that job was just like the, the perfect balance of um, politics, Asian culture, and getting to mess with cars half the week. So I, I really enjoyed that job. Uh, but from there, I met a, a teacher, a retired teacher, who was from Chichihar. And she approached me and said, hey, you know, I like what you're doing here, but uh, I'd be really interested in having you go to my hometown in China I heard that you have worked in China before. Uh, I see the work that you're doing now. I'm doing, I'd like to go to the university in Chichihar. So, um, you know, I looked at the opportunity. I saw the pictures. And um, I thought at the time that the pictures were, uh, you know, Photoshopped. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... <laughs> Because I, you know, again, I had lived in China for a year by that point, and it had been a few years, but I had lived there for a year in southern China, uh, a city called Foshan. Okay. Uh, Foshan's famous for uh, Huang Fei Hong, who is the teacher of Bruce Lee. Okay. Okay. You know, so so you know, uh, oh, Wang Fei Hong. I should let me let me clarify that first. Uh, Wang Fei Hong was a legendary fighter he, he was a legit go on the street and you know fight people uh, uh fighter okay uh if you've ever seen the movie once upon a time in china with uh jet li and donnie yen yeah uh yeah. jet li's character is wang fei hong uh if you go forward a couple of generations from that wing chun uh kung fu style then you get to Ip Man, right, right, right. who was Bruce Lee's teacher. In uh, He lived in Guangdong and then went to Hong Kong uh, to, to teach um, Wing Chun. Okay. Uh, 
Uh, so so that, that's the, the, the history there. Anyhow, I lived in that city for, for a year. And uh, it's just outside of Guangzhou. So it's, it's between, you know, Guangzhou is here. Foshan is here. Shenzhen is here. And then you have Hong Kong here. So four major cities uh, that are all now connected by subway. If you can imagine that. Yeah, uh, when great. I was there, they were building all of this. Okay. okay. So it, it would be like, imagine Boston gets bigger. Okay. Much bigger. Okay. And then it's connected to Hartford by subway. So wow. like the, the Boston subway branch goes out so far and then the, the Hartford branch would go out so far that they actually connect. Mm. And then from Hartford, you go down to New York. Mm. And New York's branch has gone so far that it's now connected to Hartford. And then D.C. has branched out so far. I mean, it's, it's literally that dense. Wow. Um, so you can imagine the air quality was poor and mm. dusty. Uh, it, it's, it's Southern, so it's tropical. It's mm. kind of like Florida, uh, mm. Southern Florida. And, uh, you know, it was just hot and, and muggy all the time. So I thought all of China looked like that. Okay. <laughs> when I saw the brochure for the university up North, I'm looking at stark blue sky with, you know, um, cotton white clouds and <laughs> clear water. And I said, there's no way, no. <laughs> not the China I remember. Right. Um, and, and she told me, she said, no, 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 it, it, this, it really is. It, it look, this is my hometown. I know what it looks like. And I said, okay, so I did a little research and I, I said, uh, let me give it a shot and see, see what Northern China's like. Mm -hmm. And uh, I flew out here and from the moment I landed, it's, there's this tiny, tiny airport. It's literally right down the street from me, about a, about a half hour or so from where I am. And uh, it's shared with the uh, People's Liberation Army Air Force. So as you're landing, you're looking at these uh, MiG, like Soviet-style MiG fighter jets on the runway with commercial airplanes. And at the time, they only had one flight per day, I think, or one flight every other day. Wow. So I was like, wow, this is, <laughs> this is it. This is remote. <laughs> and um, I just fell in love with the city. It's, uh, it's very Chinese. You know, it's very local, very, very real. You know, it, right. it, like I said, it's, it's, not, it's not Shanghai where everyone's metropolitan and global and you know, hustling for the, the next most trendy thing. Here, people are very traditional. Um, you know, workers dance at the end of the, the workday. You know, they, they, they go outside and do these, these square dances. Um, people are very traditional. They hold their old values. And um, as I was explaining before, this was Manchuria. This was, this was the place in China that was so far north that when they had an emperor and the emperor didn't like somebody but didn't want to kill him he was sent up here north for punishment mm. okay this is so far north this is where they used to have their old labor camps uh after world war ii to re-educate people um and sort of get them in the mindset of the communist system this is this is where that happened Okay. This is so far north that um, we have winter a solid six months of the year. Um, so it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's a very different place. It it, re it really really is a different place, and um, it's very traditional. Yeah. Now your uh, is this? You said it was kind of uh, less modern, right? So you have you have all the. Uh, amenities of a modern city though right you have internet obviously we're talking that's how we're talking mm -hmm. plumbing mm -hmm. systems up to date uh sure. all that kind of um, stuff mm, <laughs> up to date but not to us specs okay so don't 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 expect <laughs> and, and and that's an interesting thing that you brought up um when you come to china do not expect us specifications 
Okay. You know, <laughs> with build quality, building code, electric code. That being said, you, you, what we don't understand is just how advanced the United States is. Okay. Um, and it's something we, we take for granted. So when you come to China, um, and one of the reasons that I'm saying that it's so normal here is that when I've gone to other, uh, China has different tiers, like level, like tier one, tier two, uh, tier three, and some people even say tier four. I would say my city is a tier three, tier four city. Okay. Which are the most prevalent cities across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, my home is the seventh. Actually, I have, my, I have a, I don't know if you can see this clearly. I got a staircase there. I actually have two floors in my home. Okay. So it's a little bigger than most. Okay. But I, I have the seventh and eighth floor. And there's no elevator in this building. Okay. Um, maybe some big cities like New York have a five-floor walk-up or a six-floor walk-up. Um, but if you were to look out my window, let me see if I can do this without dropping the computer. This will give you a good perspective. So you can see out here uh, all, all the buildings, the one across the street, all the way down. I don't know how clearly you can see that. Let me try over here. All these buildings across the entire city have this uh, sort of basic design. Okay. And they are five to ten stories. No, no, no. I shouldn't say ten. There are not too many tens left over. They are somewhere between five and eight stories. Uh, no elevator. Um, and they're built as basically a concrete shell. And when you buy the house, then you pay to finish the interior. Okay. Um, unless you buy, a, you know, if you buy a used house, a secondhand house, they, they say, if you buy a secondhand house, then you get whatever was put in here. A lot of people, if they buy a secondhand house, um, they will demo and then rebuild. Uh, we were lucky. We had, we got a house that was, that was, actually pretty nice it's got wood floors and yeah it looks nice and it's to me. decorated pretty well yeah so yeah. it's one of the one of the attractions uh to buying this house we, we looked at dozens um and we settled on this house because we didn't have to spend money on decorating yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that means a lot <laughs> but yeah that that's that's normal here um you know some things that annoyed me for example when i when i came in and we started updating certain things like the plumbing uh most sinks don't have a p-trap that sounds very very simple you're like okay you know you, you just need a u-shape and a u-shape and you put them together and you've got a you know that s-curve that's under every right. single sink in the united states by code right but they don't have that code here or they don't follow that code so sometimes you get gas from the sewers it comes up and it's uh. like uh this is so annoying, but that's, that's, that's normal. You know, you, you get so used to it that if you go into a hotel and it smells kind of weird in the bathroom, it's like, eh, most hotels have that smell. But if you see a place that actually has a proper pee trap, that's considered luxury. <laughs> um, and, and I, and I, I used to laugh at that too, but then I thought about it. And I said, well, you got 1.4 billion people, okay? Um, you can imagine that there's got to be seven hundred million uh, housing units across the entire country. Okay. So if every house had to have that that S curve. That would you're talking about several million dollars increase in costs across the entire country, and you're talking about increasing that cost for people who just two generations ago 
lived on farms. Mm-hmm. You know, many people, uh, their grandparents, you know, the, the folks who were born in the 1950s and maybe even most of the 60s, outside the major cities, you know, Shanghai's always been a modern city. Beijing's always been a modern city. Uh, Guangzhou developed fast. Other than those three major cities, most of the country, they lived in these, uh, what they call hutongs, these, these homes made of bricks. Right. And, you know, they had an outhouse. Mm-hmm. So going from an outhouse to having your own squat toilet is a major increase. Right. Right. You know, whereas we've been using the Western throne, <laughs> the porcelain <laughs> throne for generations, you know, going back a hundred years, we've had that design. They didn't have that design. So the hardest thing for me when I first came here back in 2006 was adjusting to just how different China is from the rest of the world and really going back to my education when I studied politics to understand why. Why are they so different from the rest of the world? And understanding that, you know, 1920, give or take, um, there was the uprising and overthrowing of the uh, last emperor. Um, And he really had no power. He was just, he was a young boy Mm. uh, who was kind of thrust into the, the, the changing of the world. And then in the 1920s, China sort of broke into different political factions. And then there was a lot of infighting and then civil war. And then Japan invaded uh, in the 1940s. Um, and then from there, World War II broke out. So the, 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 the two fighting factions within China, or the, there's probably more than two, they had to actually unite and then fight against Japan who was the outside aggressor. And then while they're fighting against Japan, you've got the U.S. and Western allies who are sort of uh, saying, hey, you know, nationalists, you know, we want to we want to partner with you. And then the Soviets were like, hey, communists, we want to partner with you. And they, then it became this proxy war. And after Japan was defeated in World War II, China went back to you know, this, this civil war. And obviously, as you know, by, uh, in 1949, uh, the communists had defeated the nationalists. The nationalists retreated to Taiwan. Uh, Mao Zedong, uh, Chairman Mao took over and established, um, modern, uh, the, the China that we have today. Mm. And we still have tension between mainland China and Taiwan and we still have uh, special administrative regions like uh, Hong Kong and Inner Mongolia. And, you know, the, the, the tensions that China experiences to this very day all go back to that uh, last dynasty. Right, right, right. And that last dynasty was run by Manchurians. Mm. Ethnic, it wasn't the ethnic Han. The Han people are the majority, they are the vast majority, both ethnically and ethno-culturally. So maybe if you did a DNA test, a lot of people are, are mixed with different ethnicities uh, within China. And many people don't realize that there are different ethnicities in China. Yeah. I think there's uh, 50, 56 recognized minority groups. Okay. But the, the Han Chinese are the, are the majority. Okay. And um, the last dynasty was controlled by the Manchurians. You know, so the language that they speak, the, 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 the common language, which is common is Putong, language is Hua. So the, the Putong Hua, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll, you, uh, in English, we will say, uh, oh, do you speak Cantonese or Mandarin? Right, 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 right. right? Cantonese, the word Cantonese means language of Canton. Canton is now Guangdong, Guangdong province. So uh, that city, Guangzhou, used to be called Canton. Guangdong province 
was Canton province. Um, the language that they spoke, the language that the people from Hong Kong speak was the Guangdong language or Guangdong Hua, um, or what we call Cantonese. The rest of the country had to communicate if you were educated, you know, if you went to a university, if you uh, did any kind of political business, you had to interact and communicate with the people of Beijing. Mm. So you had to learn to speak the Beijing dialect. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that Beijing dialect or, you know, Beijing Hua um, was also, and at the time, Beijing was called Peking. You've heard of like Peking duck. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or, uh, you yeah. know, some restaurants will still say, you know, in America, some restaurants still say Peking. That's the old dialect of what is today called Beijing. Okay. Or the city we call Beijing. It's, it's the same thing. Okay. So the, the language of the king, the language of the emperor, was Manchurian. Okay. He spoke what is here, where I am right now, the local language, the Northeast okay. dialect. Okay. Uh, which is why we call Chinese common language or Chinese Putonghua, it's called Mandarin. It's the language of the Manchurians. Now, so do it's, you um, speak? Do you speak any any uh, Chinese? I, I speak Mandarin mo or mostly, mostly Mandarin. I, I uh, Mandarin because that's that's the national language now. Okay. So when when China got established as a a new republic in 1949. And, uh, well, let me, I should go back to 1920 when, when, um, the Republic of China was formed 1920, um, the empire had fallen. There was a new China. Okay. Then there was civil war mm -hmm. fighting factions. Then the, the fighting had to stop. They had to unite fight against the Japanese. Then you know, U.S., I, I, not just the U.S., it was really the allies, you know, the right. U.S., U.K., right. um, uh, Australia. They aligned themselves with the nationalist faction of this united front while the Soviets, remember, we, 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 we were still friends with Russia during World War II. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't it's really trust them. There, yeah. <laughs> right, so the, so the Soviets had aligned themselves with the the communist faction and by 1949 the communists had had won and um when chairman mao took over he set standards um which is really good uh one thing that was standardized was the writing system mm -hmm. if you look at how people in hong kong and taiwan write hong kong taiwan their writing is the same, okay. but their speaking is different. Okay. Okay. Because they're writing with characters. They're not writing with letters. Letters have sound. Okay. And, and you see what I'm saying? This is why you and I can pick up uh, a book in Spanish and at least sound out some words. Right. 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 You couldn't pick up a book in Chinese and sound out the words. Mm. Uh, the sounds have to be mostly memorized. Um, but the writing system in Hong Kong and Taiwan is the same because it's the old style of writing. Okay. It's very complicated, very traditional. They call it traditional writing. Right. Um, the communists wanted, because remember there were a workers movement. They, they, they appealed to the majority of the poor, the farmers, the laborers, the, the machinists and they wanted to simplify the writing system so that the common man could learn to read and write. You know, you go, you go before, uh, the 1940s, 1930s, 1920s, common people didn't read and write very much. Most right. people were just, you know, they they were simple farmers or laborers. Right. But post 1949, going from the 1950s into the 1960s, there was this movement 
to educate the masses. So they simplified the writing system and they established Mandarin as the common language, as the Putonghua. Um, and so that's the national language today. That's the language that everyone speaks in school. That's the language that all business is conducted in. Um, that's the language that you would learn if you go to school. How long did it take um, for you to, to, to pick up the language? Uh, I'm still I'm still picking it up. <laughs> the 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 reading and the writing is the is the. Is I was going to say, are you reading and writing? Part. I mean, reading or, or, or reading and I, I should speaking. Be. Or, I, I should I should be doing some reading and writing. I'm mostly speaking, uh, okay. listening, speaking. Okay. Uh, my uh, my fiance gets on me about not spending enough time reading and writing. Yeah. Uh, but our educate we don't we just don't have the discipline to sit down and memorize thousands of characters. It's it's hard. Yeah, I can <laughs> it's imagine. Very hard. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long do you plan to to, to stay there? Um, I'm hoping to come back. Uh, well, we have um, a marriage application that's with the U.S. Immigration Service right now. Okay. Uh, you ever see that that TV show, Ninety Day Fiance? Man, I watch it all the time, man. That is one of my okay, favorite okay, shows. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> Good. Uh, that's, Are that, you going to be on that, there? That, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, no. I, just, I, I don't. I don't like being so public with all my with my personal <laughs> life. I think that's weird. Yeah. Um. But uh, our our story would be would be good on the show. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that process, that ninety day fiance process, is the K one visa. Okay. Uh. And. We had applied for our K-1 visa in early December. You know, we, we applied, we got our um, receipt number, and, uh, you know, we're waiting on that. And as we're waiting, we're like, hey, let's take our, our honeymoon now. Because when you come to the U.S., we only have 90 days to get married. We're, we're buying a house. We we need to um, uh, we need to get a new car or at least overhaul my Jeep uh, mm -hmm. and get it up you know up and running and all that other stuff. I got a Jeep sitting in storage. Um, I said so we, we've got a lot of a lot of big costs coming up. Right. And while you are adjusting status after after she and I get married. We, we can't travel anywhere. She, she's not able to leave the U.S. until her green card comes in. And that, 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 can, take, that can take quite a bit of time. That can take up to uh, two years in some cases. So uh, we said, hey, let's, let's do a good vacation and uh, a, a honeymoon before we get married. Okay. So that's why we went to the Philippines. Okay, nice, <laughs> nice, nice. And then we come back from the Philippines. We, we spent uh, all of Christmas in the Philippines. And we spent, uh, oh, funny, funny story. We spent um, New Year at Disney in Shanghai. So we had just come back to China. Disney in Shanghai. <laughs> oh, it's nice. Very nice. Okay. Okay. And while I was in Disney, uh, you know, I, I love Star Wars. I'm a big Star Wars fan. And uh, the Disney park has this Star Wars. Uh, area i don't know what you call it uh it's very interactive it, it's a lot of fun but um when i walked in i'm geeking out i mean i'm, I'm like a <laughs> i'm like a, i'm like a schoolboy. you know i'm looking at the lightsabers and uh they've got actors who are dressed as kylo ren and darth vader and they have uh they got a guy as a c3po and r2d2 and it's all mechanical and everything moves and they had the um the millennial uh, Falcon cockpit. So I'm geeking out. While I'm there in this area, you got to understand that Star Wars wasn't a popular movie in China. Okay? okay. So in the late 70s, early 80s, when, when Star Wars came out, it didn't show in China. China wasn't into that at the time. China hadn't opened up to the world by this point. So they had no interest uh, in Star Wars. So there are not a lot of people in this part of, um, of, of the theme park. 
I'm in there. I'm having fun. There's a couple of young fans who know the, the, the newer movies. And I hear somebody say in Chinese, oh, are those black guys together? <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm, I'm over here geeking out in the Millennium Falcon, you know, moving the, the controls. And I hear somebody say, you know, are, are those guys, are those, are those black guys together? And I turn around and I see Terry Crews and his whole family <laughs> walk in. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. This is, this is so strange. Uh, so, you know, I, I look over and he's with his wife. He's with his kids. And, uh, and I had, I had to do a triple take to, you know, like this, this is, that's legit Terry Crews. Um, so I went over and I see him doing things and I realized he had undercover security with him okay. uh, who are all Chinese. So I went to the security, uh, his, his security detail and I spoke to him in Chinese very briefly. And, uh, he said, yeah, 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 that's him. But, uh, he's not doing things with fans today. He's with his family. I said, Oh, okay. Yeah, I respect that. So, um, I said aloud, I said, Hey, Mr. Cruz, how you doing? And he just waved. He's like, Hey, what's up? He's like, you know, he's like, Hey, what's up, man? You know, how you doing? And, uh, I said, uh, you know, you're, you're with your family. Just enjoy the day. Uh, I'm not going to bother you. And then he's like, Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that brother. And then he, you know, he just went ahead and did his own thing. Later I went on his, um, his, uh, what's it called? Uh, Twitter or Instagram. One of those, I think Instagram. And I, if you look at his photos on Instagram and you look at my photos on Instagram, they are I, from, from step by step identical because <laughs> I'm going around and then he's literally right behind me, uh, following everywhere that I went. So that was, that was a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, nice. I, I got way off track geeking out on Star Wars. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we came, you know, we're back in China. This is uh, New Year. And uh, this virus just, just blows up. I mean, just in the news, it starts off as a blurb. We're home for Chinese New Year. And, uh, you know, we're just watching this story snowball. And it's now getting bigger. How far bigger. are you from, from, from Wuhan? How far are you from there? Wuhan to Beijing is the same as Wuhan to my city. So that is, I, I knew this. Uh, you know, hang on. Let me, uh, I'm on a computer. I can figure this out. I'm just pulling it up here. Okay. Uh, but it's not too far. It's, uh, it's probably just a two hour flight. Okay. So you're, uh, so you get back, you're on your honeymoon and things are blowing up, uh, the news. Uh, exactly. That, that's, that's exactly how it was. Um, you know, it was just getting, the, the story was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, um, uh, 2,500 kilometers. I got to do miles for, for you Americans. Yeah, yeah, listen, I, I'm going to have to translate that myself. I, mean, I don't know what that is. Uh, <laughs> 1,553 miles. Okay. Uh, about, about, uh, about 1,500 miles. Okay. It's not, it's not too far. Not, not close, but not too far. Okay. Um, Skype, there we are. Now I can see you. Um, so, I mean, it, it was a, man, it's kind of a, a scary thing because it's like, you have these moments that are very surreal mm. as you're figuring out what's happening. Well, the whole world's trying to figure out what's happening. So um, we hear the story. We hear that there's a, a virus. Um, but China is in the middle of New Year, the New Year celebration. Okay. Um, we don't hear any good news. Let me put it that way. Nothing was, was good or hopeful or showing any kind of progress when I was looking at the story. Um, my, my stepdaughter was, was very worried. She was um, following it very closely. Uh, 
because she's still a student. She's a senior in high school. And, um, you know, you, you get into a high school, you, you know, schools are like Petri dishes because everyone comes from everywhere and they're all mixing together. Uh, but they were on holiday. So all of her friends were following this story as it was happening. And they were talking to each other on their Chinese social media. And we started hearing about uh, uh, the deaths. Mm. And nobody knew just how bad it was. Okay. Um, but we knew it wasn't good. And I remember one report where they had said, uh, you know, we were praying for people in Wuhan and uh, on China's CCTV. That's a, uh, a national channel. Imagine it. It's kind of like a government owned ABC or NBC, mm. uh, CBS. Um, they do an annual gala. Uh, it's this huge, I mean, massive, massive celebration during the, the Chinese New Year. Well, during this gala, they were talking about the virus and saying, you know, everybody in the country should, should support and should pray for the people in Wuhan. So I said, okay, this is, for it to be in the gala, it's got to be very serious because that means it's coming from the top down. Remember, China's not, it doesn't have our system. Okay. It's, it's, it's a, it's a authoritarian, uh, top down type of, type of country. So for, for there to be concern during the New Year gala, that showed me that this is really serious. And, and um, not, not only was it serious, but I knew that they don't want to embarrass themselves, themselves on national TV. And at the same time, one thing that China is very, very, very adamant about is social stability. Okay. Um, you know, again, I mentioned this before, you got 1.4 billion people. The last thing you want is panic. Mm. Okay. Mm. Now in America, we're like, I'm just going to tell it to you straight. Okay. <laughs> you know, that, that's how we talk. You know, the doctor comes out and he's like, there's no way to say this, but uh, you got stage four cancer. You know, like they just, they just, boom, there it is. China's more like, uh, uh, you know, the, you're getting a little older and there are some things that we can control and there are some things that we can't control. And I really want to make sure that you have your affairs in order because it seems that you may have a giant tumor the size of a golf ball. <laughs> you know, like, you know they're, they're, they're much more measured in their approach because, um, that concept, and it goes back to, con to, to, to Confucius, but that concept of peace and harmony and avoiding disorder and avoiding um, anger is so deeply rooted that I, I, I'm watching this gala from, you know, you're talking about uh, seven, eight years uh, of, of being living in China and being around the culture. So right. there are things that I see that the average person may not catch okay. when they're watching the news. And they had a panel. I remember this very distinctly. Normally it's one guy, one girl, one guy, one girl, four people. They stand on stage and they have cards and each one reads something maybe it's a poem or a soliloquy is you know, so, you know it's it, it's it's some kind of uh it, it's it's a style of stage presence that they do mm -hmm. uh, here in china it's very common you'll see it in high schools you'll see it in the universities they'll have a guy a girl a guy and a girl or a guy girl girl guy like this okay, okay. and they stand on stage and they read things in series and they go like one, three, two, four, one, three, two, four. Okay. And it's, it's balance and it's, it, it's a, it's a way of doing things. Um, during the gala, they had six. Okay. Um, three guys and three girls. 
on stage. And each was reading something that was in support of the doctors and the nurses who are fighting this, this new uh, scourge that is, that is uh, affecting the people in Wuhan and that all of us should be supportive of the efforts. It was that day I looked at my fiance and I said, this is bad. Yeah. This is real bad because to have six people on stage means you're really trying to drive the point home. It, it, it takes, uh, basically it's like four people can't convey what we're trying to convey. Mm. And we're going to take time out of the most important televised event, not, of, not, not just of the year in China, but more people are watching this than any other televised event in the whole world. Okay. All Chinese citizens are tuned in to this, to this gala. And you just took a section of this. I mean, it's a well-oiled machine. If you ever see it, it's an amazing show. Mm. And you can tell people put hours and hours and months and weeks of, of time into preparing all the different events that, that come together and culminate for this 24-hour television show live live television show and they took a massive amount of time to put six people on stage to to talk about this i said this is this is bad and the other thing that happened was the mayor of the city uh hosted a banquet in wuhan to show that it's not dangerous mm -hmm. and i said ah Okay, this is worse <laughs> because because if it's not that bad, you don't have to prove that it isn't. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Right, 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 right. A little overkill. It's like, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like when when somebody has a a truth that they don't want to come out, they overcompensate the lie. Right, right. So in China, it, it's hard to say someone is lying the way we understand a lie to be sometimes in China, they will lie in order to keep you from the harsh truth. If the truth is going to cause more problems than finding out that it's a lie. I got you. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, just a little tangent, just to, just to give you an understanding of how, how powerful this is. Um, I've known families personally who will not tell the great grandmother that their own child had died because they're afraid that the news will be so shocking. It's going to cause harm to the 70, 80 year old. Gotcha. I gotcha. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So. Um, I, I know, I know, I can, I can think of dozens of situations that were like that, where someone intentionally kept someone from the truth because the truth was so painful that, um, it would really just disturb a lot of things, you know, yeah. uh, there, there are people who go through divorces and they will tell all their colleagues, oh, my, you know, my, my husband works. Uh, in a different city. Uh, that's why he never, he's never around. Mm. Just because that reality of, oh, I went through a divorce because I was being abused is, is too hard, you know? And they may also view it as that's not their business. So I would rather lie to this person than to lose face. You always, you often hear about that people losing face. Right. I got you. Um, yeah. Which is why they don't understand Americans. Americans are like, man, I just went through a divorce. I can't, I can't stand that woman. You know, like, they're like, oh, oh, oh. Why, are you, why are you putting your business out there? Like, that's something wrong with you, man. Like you're, you know, you got to save face. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ladies and gentlemen. So that was the episode. Hope you really enjoyed it. Make sure you tune in next week. And we're going to continue on with the uh, same theme, life as a black man living in China with my cousin. 
uh, Stephen Hunter Jr. Please rate, please subscribe, and please share. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, much love.